We've talked about the future of a lot of different business functions on AI and industry. We've interviewed a lot of founders and execs in the marketing space, in the finance domain, in business intelligence, and more. We haven't knuckled down specifically on the domain of procurement. Whether you're buying an HVAC system or you're buying a new CRM or you're buying some complicated AI software that's going to help you with marketing segmentation, the procurement department at large and medium-sized companies is an awful important part of how business works, how efficiencies are driven, and it's important, I think, for us to understand how AI and automation will affect that business function. This week on the AI and Industry Podcast, we have Elliot Knudsen, who is a data science lead at Tamer. Tamer is a cutting-edge AI company in the procurement space based in Cambridge. Elliot's a Carnegie Mellon guy himself, but he goes into detail with us about what facets of the procurement function are likely to change drastically due to automation AI in the next five or ten years ahead, and what elements, whether by human or technological sort of hindrances, are likely to pretty much stay the same in the next five to ten years. I hope that this episode will help our business listeners think through how their own procurement efforts might alter in the next maybe decade ahead or even the next couple years ahead and what kind of considerations they should make in their own companies. So without further ado, this is Elliot with Tamer here on AI and Industry. So Elliot, first things first, I wanted to riff with you a little bit about the domain of procurement and how AI might impact that business function. I imagine there's some facets of the procurement function that are really going to be impacted and streamlined and made efficient through AI and automation. And maybe there's other areas that are going to still mostly be in the human purview in you know, five years out, seven years out, what have you. What do you see as kind of the lay of the land of how machine learning and AI are sort of changing this space of procurement? Sure. Thanks, Dan. So the way that procurement works today, and what's always very important to think about when talking about AI and and machine learning are the end users and the type of work that the end users are doing today. When you think about the typical category manager or someone who's in charge of negotiation for a particular part of a company, they have shockingly little information around how they actually purchase, how their company purchases on the whole. And a lot of the work that they do is around gathering that information in order to sort of make their negotiations more efficient and just doing the best they can given the data that they have. When it comes to AI, I think that that's actually going to hold as well. You know, the very first question is going to be, how do we pull together more information? How do we bring more data together in order to do the types of predictive analytics and negotiations? That's where all the value is going to be generated. And the systems are just today very, very challenging to work off of. You have these ERP systems that are commonly very, very large, complex SAP, Oracle applications that are not very user-friendly or data-friendly. It's just incredibly challenging to get data out of. The very first thing that will need to happen in the field of procurement is all of this data is really going to need to be sort of brought together into uh, a better form. Well, I like this as a place to start. I'm going to go a little bit deeper on this, Elliot. You know, it's funny because, of course, you see plenty of differences across industries. And, you know, we talk to so many darn founders, it's, you know, head spinning. But there is a big commonality around any industry, any sector, and some sectors it comes easier than others. In procurement, there's definitely challenges is, well, first things first, we need a tremendous amount of data. 
you know, uh, first things first, we have to make it accessible. We have to be able to do something with it. It sounds like in procurement, there's so many desperate systems that go into what have we paid? Who are the vendors? What are the facts that come into play? What are the costs? How does this tie into this and that? That these are getting yanked from so many parts of the company, as opposed to maybe your website analytics, if you're an e-commerce business, you can kind of pull it all together. You can really bring it all into one spot and make sense of it. Here, it sounds like there are bigger hurdles. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's really, I think it's really easy to get pulled into some of the shiny new technology and all the potential that exists there. If you think about blockchain and all of the tremendous efficiencies that something, a technology like that can bring to just the mechanical process of conducting a transaction, people like to take that technology and say, well, what if everything was running on something like that? What would the broad implications be? And that's a very good question to ask, you know, for five or 10 uh, years down the road. But there's a pretty wide chasm between where we sit today, right, and, and the capabilities and, and the tools that we have mm. today. And not just the capabilities and tools, but, you know, how are people trained today? And, and what are the skills that they have? And what are the skills that they're going to need to have over the next 15 years? But where we are today is actually at a pretty primitive place. And, yeah. and I think that, that, that people don't don't often don't fully appreciate just how challenging it is to just from a simple perspective pull together the information that you actually need before you even start to think about you know the predictive analytics and and all the automation that could potentially be possible yeah you know it's it kind of reminds me of those you know stats i don't know how how old this is and how relevant this still is but i'm sure there's still a tremendous amount of credence to this idea that you know, the data scientists today in, in the corporate universe are spending, you know, some inordinate amount of time greater than 50% on just kind of finding and cleaning and making sense of information and really much less time fruitfully leveraging it than maybe everybody would hope because the, those janitorial tasks are challenging. Totally. And I mean, we're not just even talking about data scientists here, right? If you step into a, a large organization and you step into the procurement function within that large organization, you're going to have a category manager who will know how to use Excel very well. They'll know how to maybe use some sort of different analytics tools, right? Some different dashboards, how to do research very, very well, find alternative prices, right? We've, we've all now been able to sort of be trained up on Amazon so we can get a baseline price for pretty much anything in the world um, yeah, yeah, uh, just, by, just by going through the, through the web. <laughs> oh, um, man, that's funny. It's one of these things where, you know, Microsoft often talks about this idea of the digital assistant and how much power that that is, is going to provide. But fundamentally, if you could just see all the information that you needed in front of you at the right times, that alone is incredibly powerful. So it's not even this sort of unicorn data scientist who has all these programming skills who comes, you know, off a hill, but it's even the people that are actually in the trenches, in the business, making those decisions, trying to work through and munge all the information that's being thrown at them every day and just get the right information at the right time. And so there are companies, you know, you guys included at Tamer, you know, aiming to figure out, okay, how do we streamline and bring efficiencies to this complicated domain of procurement. Given all the inherent challenges in data access and cleaning that would allow us to make the right calls for pricing, make the right calls for 
contracts and all the various kind of parts and functions that go into procurement, what are the elements that sort of we can make progress in? In other words, you know, that might be different as a baseline norm across the corporate world five years from now. If there are areas where AI can make a difference, maybe not everybody will be off their existing ERP in five years, but what are the facets that we can work on now? Obviously, you guys are doing just that. Yeah, it's a good question. You know, I think that the first thing that's very important is that every procurement organization is just going to become much more data-driven in the next five years. And that's going to require a different set of skills for the people on the ground and being able to conduct your quarterly business review, conduct your negotiation in ways where that's coming off of real data rather than sort of anecdotal or, or gut feels. That's one big area, which I think is a cultural shift. But then I think on the capabilities side and and on the technology side, there's going to be a sort of a set of tools around predictively coming up with those opportunities for optimization, areas in the business, areas within the big buckets of spend, where by focusing and trying to, you know, get more leverage in those categories, that there will be a lot of business value to be had. That will come from sort of the central organization will try to find those big areas to focus. Well, yeah, and let's dive into maybe, you know, a view to the future. I'm, I'm thinking about the business audience tuned in who's thinking, all right, you know, we'll be more data driven. There's going to be areas for improvement and optimization. You folks are, are thinking about how to build a product that's going to drive a tremendous amount of value. Obviously, the more value you can bring to businesses, the more likely they are to, you know, keep hanging out with you. If we think about particular aspects, that you know, we can imagine in five years, a lot of companies will be able to optimize it. Maybe many of them can't today. What are some tangible examples of quote unquote optimization? Like, hey, in this particular domain, when we're figuring out what price to negotiate, that you know, is something that, that could be optimized. Or in this particular domain, we're trying to figure out what to stock you know, in terms of inventory for this particular thing for you know, the remainder of the year. Here's a way that that could be kind of optimized. What are a few examples of kind of these big levers that maybe we'll be able to pull in five years for optimization, some concrete sort of examples of things that really will move the needle for businesses if we can nail them. Yeah, I think that it depends on the type of thing that you're buying. It depends on the vertical yeah. that you're operating in. But at the core of it, I think that while most organizations are really focused on developing some sort of center of excellence around looking at their spend, looking at sort of an internal consulting team, almost, that are using all these different predictive tools. I think that there are much, much simpler tools that can be distributed just to everyone, things that are very easy to use, where if you can just see all the information within your enterprise, right, within your procurement team, and communicate effectively on that information, that will be just as powerful as being able to see all the information that exists on the World Wide Web. Right. I mean, we, we've sort of seen this story before where the Internet has dramatically developed an ability to bring people information. You have this Sunday night effect where people spend all weekend at home working on their personal machines, working on their iPhones, and then they walk into the office on Monday. And their big question is, hey, why is the experience, why is the information in my office so much worse and so much harder to get to? than what I have at home. You're going to start to see that consumer level 
experience for just everyday folks within different organizations. And I think especially within procurement, just because it's, it's so important and it's so tangible of a place where there's leverage in in these large organizations. So we can expect in the future that, you know, what we do with our iPhones and with our, our music and with our files and with our Google drive and with uh, our apps and all of that, some of that is, is actually somewhat complicated and took some really smart people to program in a way that was intuitive to people, you know, without PhDs. What you're getting at, it sounds like, is, you know, procurement tech of the future, that the technologies that plug into it, the technologies that, you know, convey the information, you know, direct procurement tech itself will be smoother and more accessible in that same way. We can probably expect that as a pretty sincere trend, you know, in the, the half a decade ahead. Absolutely. I think one other thing that's going to be a fairly large trend, and and this isn't related to AI as much, but often within organizations, you see the revenue generating side of the organization lead in terms of a lot of their technology and capability. So CRM, the customer relationship management within an organization has dramatically improved over the last decade with the rise of Salesforce and all of these different cloud analytics and predictive lead scoring and building of sales funnels and sales forecasting. And I think that those types of capabilities are going to be replicated on the other side of the business, right? Having a funnel of of different opportunities that you're prosecuting on, on the procurement side, having a much, much clearer ability to segment suppliers in the same way that you can segment customers, being able to in a predictive way, start to score how risky different suppliers are Ah, as they go through your onboarding process, you're really going to see a similarity there. There are all sorts of these different AI applications that are happening now on the CRM side of the house that I think you're going to see pulled into the ERP side of the house as well. Okay, I like this. What I like to do with our episodes and for the listeners is come up with kind of lenses of thinking that permit them to look a little bit into the future and possibly brainstorm about directions and brainstorm on inevitabilities and what they should do about them. It sounds like, you know, what we're seeing within Salesforce and these other CRMs, the way things are accessible, the way things are sortable, the way that lead scoring works, the way that we can coax out information across groups and things like that, and any of the functionalities and features that maybe we really like in CRM, these might be to some degree, what we also get to see in procurement too. And what, what would that mean? You know, how could we make that help us be more efficient, etc.? It sounds like that's a, a useful lens to think through because the goal, it sounds like, is that this trend would trickle down, that the same way that we're able to sort through entities in CRM, which is maybe a little bit of a bigger market than procurement tech by itself, uh, should be able to make its way down to procurement tech. That's right. Cool. Okay. Um, that's handy as a as a lens to think through. The other kind of just being wary of time here and maybe sticking with the same theme uh, just to make the most of, of the limited time that we've got, you know, some elements of procurement are probably likely to change pretty drastically in the next 10 years. It sounds like, you know, teams are going to be staffed by folks who are a little bit more data-driven. Processes will be more data-driven. Information should be more accessible uh, so that people can make smarter decisions. It should be accessible to non-rocket scientists. You know, lots of changes at foot. When it comes to the elements of procurement that you know you don't see necessarily changing that much in the next five or ten, um, I can imagine there's some areas. You know, if we look at marketing, you know, there's some 
facets that have altered drastically, and there's some processes, strategies, ideas that they pretty much are the same. For procurement, is there anything that you see as really staying in the human purview and maybe not changing as much, even given AI? Any, anything that people can kind of plan on being quite similar into the future about the procurement process or the related processes there? Yeah, there's one interesting thing that I think really applies here. And that is, I believe that the fundamental way that procurement teams will be measured will be on savings. Mm. And I talk to a lot of folks in procurement, and they believe that the most radical change for procurement organizations is that they're going to shed this measurement of savings as the core indicator of the quality of a procurement team, right? Where if you think, you know, if you go to a large organization, they have a procurement team of of hundreds of people. And at the end of the day, what matters is the savings rate that they were able to achieve on the spend that they were given. Yeah. And that sort of fundamental principle there's an opportunity to have that go away because ultimately, if you go to the CEO level, right, they don't care so much about savings. They care about the total spend number, period, right? They care about their profit and loss rather than whether or not they got 10% or 15% off a given contract, right? And, And what I hear frequently from CPOs especially is that, there's an opportunity with all of the new information that's being collected to move away from measuring these large teams as a function of savings rather than as a total function of what is being spent and the value that's being achieved out of that. I think that that change, the move away from savings, is fundamentally incredibly difficult. And I don't think it's a machine problem. I think it's a human problem. Uh, And I think in the next 15, 20, 25, even 50 years, you're still going to have most procurement teams inside of most organizations measured based upon what are the savings that they're able to achieve on the spend that they're given. Uh, I guess, you know, in terms of why that sort of has to alter, you had hinted a little bit here, and I've I've actually heard other folks in the procurement space, not as much the tech space like yourself, but folks in the the purely procurement world who have that as a career talk about this. You had hinted that, you know, the CEO is just looking at the P&L, you know, savings isn't the only thing that kind of matters for the CEO. I've heard other folks say that, you know, at the end of the day, it's possible to beat people up so much on price that you look really cool, but then they nickel and dime you for everything because you've beaten them to the curb and they have to do that in order to make any margin at all off of you and you end up with way more headaches when you play the, you know, how many teeth can we kick down their throat game uh, with every vendor you interact with. And that ultimately looking at like a total cost analysis of, you know, if we strike this deal that's more fair and we use this product with this durability that might cost a little bit more, but in the next three years or the next four years, the life cycle of its use we actually are going to get more value out of it, that those are more mature lenses to think through than just what was the normal price? How much did I beat him up? What was the normal price? How much did I beat him up? I've heard those as previous arguments as to why that really has to change. And we have to focus on kind of a, a more total cost view, a more like overall, yeah. what are we spending? Is that sort of why that has to shift? Why do you see it as, as somewhat inevitable that the most mature advanced companies will move away from just pure savings? What are the benefits there that, that make that kind well, of an inevitable thing? 
I fundamentally think that we're going to stay with savings. I, I think that oh. that it's going to be much, much harder to move away. I think that there are lots of organizations that are using this more mature lens, and that will get continuously refined. And if they're serious about doing this with data, they will need to bring in other sorts of data that don't just show prices, but actually show some level of quality, some level of performance, yeah. some level of durability, they'll need to bring those in. And that will be really critical. But at the same time, I just think it's going to be incredibly hard for organizations, even these mature organizations, to move away from savings as their primary driver. And I think that there's sort of this just human natural instinct, which will be yeah. that these organizations need to be measured on something that is very core to the value that they're bringing. And the value that they're bringing is optimization, right, within these large companies and the ability to leverage the volume and the scale of, of very, very large organizations. And ultimately, that comes down to saving. I think it's a very, very interesting conversation. And like I said, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of different CPOs who fall onto the other side, who think that savings are ultimately going to go away. And it's all going to be total cost of ownership. But the ability to get away from just using savings, I think, is going to be much, much more challenging than people assume. Presume, yeah. Jeez. Uh, uh, so so the, the alternative, I'm just thinking about as we wrap up here, Elliot, if people are going to kind of Google their way around, what are the alternative ways of thinking? It sounds like you do see merit in the other ways of thinking, but that you just realize how many hindrances there are and how the human habits will be difficult to change because we're leaning on people to make that kind of cultural goal level shift. If people are looking into what the alternatives are and what might be explored, because I'm sure some companies will break away, some, maybe like you said, it won't be most, is the core alternative dynamic that's currently being discussed called total cost of ownership. That's question one. Number two, do people just Google that term if they want to learn more? Or are there some kind of authoritative sources we can give people as homework as we break here? Yeah, sure. You know, it's called total cost of ownership sometimes. Other okay. times it's called total landing cost. So in the manufacturing space, when you're buying direct materials, you want to be able to predict for a given unit price, you know, if you buy a bolt, right, what are all of the additional fees or, or costs that you can associate with that one part or SKU? Uh, that's called total landing cost. Got it. And, and then, you know, at, at the end of the day, it's total spend. Okay, right. cool. So that there's, if people want to look up what the alternative dynamics are, see what other people are thinking about this, see if there are other companies that are kind of making that cultural shift, those might be terms to Google, it sounds like. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. Elliot, well, I'm glad we got to kind of shake out some of your insights on how this domain will change. For everybody's sake, I certainly hope that the data becomes more accessible, but at least the audience now understands a little bit more about the dynamics at play. So thanks for being here and sharing your insights. Yeah, thank you very much, Dan. That's all for this episode on the AI and Industry Podcast, where we explore the applications and implications of AI in your business or industry. And when it comes to those benefits of real insight in terms of artificial intelligence applications in business, this show is really just the tip of the iceberg. AI and Industry is produced by Tech Emergence, and over at techemergence.com, you can find actionable industry-specific coverage, including case studies, unique market research with charts and graphs, 
and regular coverage of the AI applications of both the hottest startups here in the Bay Area, as well as what Fortune 500 companies are doing with AI today. Everything from marketing and advertising, business intelligence, to specific industries like finance and healthcare, you can stay ahead of the curve and stay on the right side of disruption by visiting techemergence.com. And when you're there, make sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter on the left-hand side of the page. Uh, most of our podcast listeners get our, the episodes directly to their inbox every week. You'll be joining tens of thousands of other business leaders who join us from all over the world to stay ahead of the curve of AI in their specific industry. So that's techemergence.com. Uh, I'm Dan Figella. This is AI and Industry, and we'll catch you next week. Thank you.